What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I'm your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 64, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus 12 card, headlined by Hinato Moiscano versus the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. This fight card will be going down in Greenville, South Carolina this Saturday, June 22nd, 2019 with the six-fight prelim card kicking off at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and the six-fight main card starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. At the end of the podcast, we will quickly recap the UFC 238 pay-per-view that went down two weeks ago. We did have no UFC last week, but we had Bellator 222 to keep us entertained. And Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series started this past Tuesday, so we've had a little bit of MMA to keep us uh, preoccupied in the meantime, but we're back with the UFC this week. So with that being said, we're going to jump into the first fight, which takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have... Andre Yule, who is 14 and 5, taking on Anderson Dos Santos, who is 20 and 7. The opening betting line for this one was Andre Yule, the minus 305 favorite to Anderson Dos Santos at plus 225. Right now, we are seeing Andre Yule minus 110, Dos Santos minus 110. So a pick 'em fight now over on five dimes, which is a lot of line movement since the opening line where. Yule was a 3-1 to one favorite, so I agree with the line movement in this one. I think that uh, Anderson Dos Santos should not have been that much of an underdog. I think this is a pretty close 50-50 type of fight, so congrats to all the betters who got in on Dos Santos as that big underdog. Um, so we're looking at like a striker versus grappler type of matchup in this one. Uh, Andre Yule has pretty decent striking. He's a very long southpaw. He's got a, a nice left hand, but he hasn't looked too uh, impressive so far in the UFC. He's had a, he had a sloppy fight with Hen and Burrell where it was a little bit back and forth early in that fight, but as the fight went on longer, Andre Yule took over and got the win over the former champion, Burrell, in Brazil. So a very impressive victory in his debut in that one. But after that, he took on Nathaniel Wood at UFC 229, and he was pretty much dominated in that fight by Nathaniel Wood. He was outstruck in the boxing aspect of things, and he was eventually taken down and got his back taken and uh, got rear naked choked in that fight by Nathaniel Woods. So Andre Yule has shown some pretty clear weaknesses on the ground. Uh, he doesn't really know how to get off of his back. He doesn't know how to defend submissions that well. And that's not good for him because he's taken on a jiu-jitsu black belt in Anderson Dos Santos in this fight. But again, Dos Santos, we have not seen too much uh, good from in the UFC so far. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Lost his debut to Nad Naramani in his first fight where he was pretty soundly outstruck in that fight um you know he was he tried to take down dosan or naramani in that fight but naramani was able to stuff his takedowns and then naramani actually took down dos santos and dos santos couldn't really do anything off of his back so um you know dos santos has looked decent in the regional uh fights he he has some nice victories over some lower level competition actually has a uh, his best win is over Ricky Simone three years ago where he was losing that fight. He came from behind, rocked Simone with a punch, and then tapped him out. So Dos Santos and Yule are both good fighters. This is a very, very close type of fight. It really just depends on how aggressive Dos Santos is with the takedown. If he is relentless pursuing that takedown and he realizes that Yule is weak on the ground and he tries to exploit that weakness on the ground, then I think Dos Santos wins. But if Dos Santos tries to strike in this one like he did versus Naramani, 
he does not pursue that takedown relentlessly, then I think that Yule will win this fight uh, just by outstriking Dos Santos to a decision. So it's a really close 50-50 type of fight. I've been going back and forth all week on this. And, uh, you know, I think that this fight will end up on the ground at some point. And I think that Anderson Dos Santos can either win rounds or even get the submission on Yule in this one. So I'm going to slightly lean Anderson Dos Santos in this one, but it's not a confident pick at all. And I would probably pass on both ends of the betting line where it's at right now. Next fight in the middleweight division, we have Darren Wynn, who is 5-0, taking on Eric Spicely, who is 12-4. The opening betting line for this one was Darren Wynn as the favorite at minus 322, Eric Spicely as the underdog at plus 240. Right now, the line is just about the same with Darren Wynn, minus 300 to Spicely, plus 250. So this is a short notice a replacement fight for Eric Spicely. Darren Wynn was supposed to take on Bruno Silva, but Silva pulled out this week and Spicely got the short notice call to come back to the UFC. Spicely was cut from the UFC uh, a few years back, but he's been active fighting over in CES, picking up a few victories since then, and he got his uh, chance to get back in the UFC. So, um, you know, props to Spicely for keep grinding and getting back in the UFC, but unfortunately he's, he's drawing a, a tough straw in this matchup. Darren Wynn making his UFC debut, uh, a lifetime wrestler, trains with uh, Daniel Cormier and Cain Velasquez over at AKA, has been uh, making himself known in the the local MMA community for a while, picked up that nice victory over Tom Lawler um, back on the uh, Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz card back in November and is now getting his chance in the UFC here. So even though he's a lifetime wrestler, he has very solid striking. He's got good boxing. He really just outstruck Tom Lawler pretty uh, pretty comfortably in that fight. So uh, I've been impressed with Wynn so far. He, he seems like he's not really relying on his wrestling. He seems like he's really worked on becoming a well-rounded mixed martial artist. And Wynn does have a very short, stocky frame. He's very short for the weight class. I think he's only like five foot six or seven. And that might be a, a problem here because he's fighting Eric Spicely, who's a, a very big middleweight. I think has fought at 205 in the past. But Wynn is, has fighting bigger guys his entire MMA career so far. But yeah, Spicely, six foot two, uh, going to be towering over the five foot five Darren Wynn. So nine inch reach advantage for Eric Spicely in this one. Even though Wynn is the favorite and I think he should win this fight, man, Eric Spicely definitely has a path to victory. If Wynn. Um, tries to outstrike Spicely on the feet, I think he will be successful, and I think he will win the fight comfortably that way. But if Darren Wynn tries to mix up his wrestling with the with the striking in this one and takes this fight to the ground, I think he's actually going to give Spicely a chance to win this fight because Spicely is a black belt on the ground. He's tapped out really good guys like Tiago Santos before. He's, you know, he's pulled guard on people and tapped them out. He pulled guard in that Santos fight and then eventually took his back, choked him out. So he's got a really tricky guard. He can, you know, he can take you down. He's got good offensive wrestling. He's got good defensive wrestling. So it's Spicely is going to be tough to grapple with for Darren Wynn. So if I were Wynn, I would try to keep this fight standing and to try to outstrike Spicely on the feet where he will have the biggest advantage. But if this one ends up on the ground, I expect it to be a very close and entertaining uh, grappling type of fight where Spicely could snatch a submission, uh, possibly. But, you know... Uh, I think the win will win the fight, but where the line is at now, it's definitely dogger pass, and I think there might even be a little bit of value on Spicely at plus 250, maybe even on his sub line at uh, plus 500 or whatever it is. Let's check over right now. Spicely plus 505 sub. So, yeah, that's not a bad uh, sap, stub, or excuse me, stab 
uh, for this fight because the sub is uh, Spike Lee's best path to victory. So the pick is going to be win, but it's a pass on the betting line. It's definitely dog or pass where it's at right now. Next fight in the women's flyweight division, we have Molly McCann, who is 8-2, taking on Ariane Lipsky, who is 11-4. The opening betting line for this one was Lipsky, the favorite, at minus 145 to McCann, plus 105. Right now, we are seeing Lipsky, minus 280, McCann, plus 240. So, a lot of action coming in on the favorite Lipsky in this one. Uh, people are not giving much credit to uh, Molly McCann despite picking up an, uh, a victory in her last fight over Priscilla Cachoeira. She looked much improved from her uh, first fight in the UFC, which she lost uh, via submission to Jillian Robertson. Uh, McCann, you know, was pressuring forward that entire time, throwing a lot of punches, had very solid output. Um, you know, did slow down a little bit in round three and lost round three to Cachoeira, but still was able to do enough damage in, in rounds one and two of the fight to win the decision. And McCann also mixed up some takedowns to ice the rounds at, at the end of the rounds, which impressed me. You know, they were close back and forth uh, four minutes of the round, and then McCann would go for the takedown and just to ice the round. And I think that that's going to be a big, big factor for her in this fight if if the fight is, is contested on the feet, I expect it to be a very back-and-forth, striking exchange type of fight. But I give the slight edge to Lipsky. She's much more technical. She's got that Muay Thai style. She throws better kicks. And, uh, you know, she was competitive with JoJo Calderwood at range in her last fight. Really, Lipsky just struggled with the takedown, really couldn't get off her back once she got taken down and lost that fight due to JoJo's ability to mix up the striking and grappling. But McCann is not nearly as good of a fighter as Jojo. I think that Jojo uh, has a better ground game, better takedowns, and um, probably better striking than McCann as well. So uh, Lipsky um, should be the favorite in this one. She does have a path to victory at just winning this fight by being the more technical striker, avoiding the takedown of McCann, and landing the cleaner, harder shots for three rounds. But at the current price, there's no way I could trust Arian Lipsky at almost three to one molly mccann's going to be marching forward the entire time she's going to be throwing punches the entire time it's it's entirely possible that molly mccann could win this fight based on being more aggressive based on mixing in that takedown uh at the end of the round to you know steal a close round and i honestly like molly mccann's chances to win this fight so i'm not going to flat out pick mccann in this one uh i will slightly lean lipsky's way because i think she you know has the better path to victory but mccann at her current price is is a good dog play in my opinion and the real betting line and to, to play in this one would be molly mccann plus 3.5 points which is plus 120 right now so if you have access to the points handicap lines on five dimes i recommend checking them out and betting molly mccann because molly mccann has a very good chance at losing this fight she she has a good chance of getting outstruck by lipsky all fight but i think that she will definitely steal at least one round from lipsky at some point so I'm going to pick uh, Molly, or excuse me, I'll pick Lipsky to win the decision, but the uh, the betting line uh, value is on Molly McCann in this one. Next fight is in the heavyweight division. We have Alan Crowder, who is ten and three, taking on Jair Zeno Rosenstruck, who is seven and zero. Oh. The opening betting line for this one was Rosenstruck, the minus one seventy five favorite, to Crowder plus one thirty five. Right now, we are seeing Rosenstruik minus 230, two Crowder plus 190. So, more action coming in on the favorite Rosenstruik's way. 
and this is a very close fight you know neither of these guys are too high level i would actually put them you know on the lower end of the ufc uh skill spectrum in this one crowder Got that DQ win over Greg Hardy in that last fight. And despite him, um, you know, getting basically knocked out by that knee at the end of the fight, he looked good in that fight. He was dealing with the, the early onslaught from Hardy well. He took down Hardy. He looked like he was uh, not scared of Hardy's power at all. In round two, he really started feeling himself and edging Hardy on, you know, sensing that Hardy was a little bit uh, tired. And he'd never been that far in a fight before. So Crowder did very well dragging Hardy into the deep waters. And really, uh, I think Hardy was just looking for a way out of that fight. And that's why he need Crowder while he was down, um, you know, disqualifying himself from the fight. So, you know, Crowder has the ability to hit a takedown. He's got the ability to keep top position and maybe go for a submission. And, you know, that's what I'm relying on him to do in this fight. He's taken on... Jair Rosenstruik, who is, you know, a former kickboxer. He's got a very impressive kickboxing record and has just transitioned over to MMA. But he's still raw in terms of MMA. The, the dude has no idea how to stuff a takedown. He really can't do much jujitsu. Um, he was put on. He was taken down and put on his back by Junior Albini, and he was put on. Uh, you know, he looked like he was in some bad spots on the ground versus Albini, but luckily Rosenstroke was able to explode back to his feet with just straight power and no real technique in there, and he got back to his feet. Uh, made it out of the first round and then was able to knock Albini out in the second round with a nice punch head kick combo so he was able to you know withstand the early grappling onslaught from uh, uh, Albini and then able to knock Albini out in the second round so it was an impressive debut from Rosenstruik even though he was put in some bad spots but you know I look at those bad spots he was put in and I expect him to be put right back in those spots versus Crowder here I expect Crowder to take Rosenstruik down uh, keep top position and you know hunt for that submission so uh, I think Rosenstruck will able to will be able to get back to his feet. I think he'll do the same thing, just explode back to his feet, power out, get back to his feet, and then outstrike Crowder in this one, possibly knocking Crowder out in the later rounds, rounds two or three. But in terms of a stab at this fight, uh, Alan Crowder submission is is money. Honestly, uh, I got it when it was plus eighteen hundred. It's all the way down to plus nine hundred now, but. With that clear grappling weakness of Rosenstruik and Crowder's ability to take down a big, powerful, heavy striker like he did Hardy last fight, uh, you know, I really like Crowder's chances at getting a submission in this one. It seems like he, he studies his opponents well. He prepares well. He, you know, he did get knocked out by Justin Willis with the, the, the boxing uh, not even too long ago. So it's entirely possible that Rosenstruik knocks Crowder out as well. But I like Crowder's chances of getting a submission. So I'll slightly lean with Rosenstruik to, to get up from the takedowns and to knock Crowder out. But I also don't knock play on Crowder at Crowder sub. I would not bet Crowder money line at this point. I really don't think Crowder has the style to win uh, a decision. I don't think he can knock Rosenstruck out. Um, you know, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. I think Crowder money line is is worth a play because. I think he could get mount on Rosenstruik, and uh, Rosenstruik might just not be able to escape the mount. I think that Crowder could win this fight in multiple different ways. If he gets top position three rounds in a row, he might win three rounds. Who the hell knows? So Crowder is going to be, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, kind of go back on what I said earlier that I'm going to lean Rosenstruik to get up. I'm going to lean Crowder to keep Rosenstruik down. I think Crowder will win this fight either by a TKO from top position, a, a submission, or just winning the rounds in, in top control. So the pick is going to be Alan Crowder to come through as the underdog in this one.
Next fight in the lightweight division, we got Matt Wyman, who is 16-7, taking on Luis Pena, who is 6-1. The opening betting line for this one was Luis Pena as the favorite at mi minus 265 to Matt Wyman, plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Pena minus 390 to Wyman at plus 320 so matt wyman coming off of a four and a half year layoff um coming back for this fight has not fought since november of 2014 just a massive massive layoff uh for matt wyman in this one his last fight was a victory over uh isaac Va valley flag a real close back and forth type of fight in that one it had a lot of clinching in it a lot of jujitsu a lot of back takes submission attempts a really exciting fight from wyman but um, you know, that was almost five years ago, so it's really hard to even, you know, take that fight seriously, even though it's his most recent fight. You really don't know what to expect from Wyman at this point in his career. He could, you know, a lot can happen in five years. I believe what happened really was, um, you know, he was it was suffering concussion symptoms, his body was worn down, and he just wasn't healthy enough to fight, but now he's coming back for one last fight. So you really got to question what his motivation is for this fight, whether it's a payday, whether he's actually trying to come back and, you know, go out on a win but regardless i'm sure he's coming in here to fight i mean he's going to give luis pena a fight and i actually think it's not that bad of a matchup for him stylistically luis pena moving back to 155 in this fight after an attempt to go down to 145 um so uh pena uh lost the ultimate fighter to mike trezano uh, and then, you know, I think he just looked uh, very underwhelming so far. He's He looked good on the Ultimate Fighter. He picked up a nice victory in his first UFC fight. Um, I forget who the gentleman was. He knocked him out, though, and I think the first round. Let's figure it out. But, you know, ever since then, Luis Pena has just, you know, looked less and less impressive. Uh, Richie Smolin, that's who it was. He tapped Richie Smolin out. But since that point... I've not really seen too much impressive from Luis Pena. He did pick up that victory over Steven Peterson in his last fight, but it was a close fight. He got his back taken a few times in that fight. He made some bad IQ moves in that fight. It didn't look like his striking was too uh, on point. In the fight against Trezano, Pena's striking looked really bad, man. He was he had no footwork. He was overextended on his 1-2. His takedown defense wasn't good. He wasn't checking leg kicks. And, you know, he did uh, avoid the submission attempts of Steven Peterson when they fought. He was able to uh, get Peterson off of his back. Um, but, you know, from some very clear um, problems with Luis Pena's game. And Matt Wyman is a back taker, honestly. He took uh, Isaac Valley Flags back multiple times. He was able to, you know, get uh, Valley Flag in some bad positions on the ground. So Wyman's going to be looking to come in here and take the back of Pena to, you know, take Pena down and get a submission from top position. And, you know, he definitely has uh, an opportunity to do so because Pena was put in some bad spots by Trezano on the ground. He's, you know, shown some weaknesses in the IQ aspect of MMA. So I like Wyman's chances of getting the, the submission. Now, I'm not saying uh, I'm picking him to win at plus 320. I just think that his submission line at plus 1200 is worth a good stab. And it's definitely dog or pass at this, this uh, price. You know, Pena at minus 390, you just cannot trust him with how he has looked in the UFC so far. So... Um, the pick is going to be Pena. I think that he will avoid the submission attempt of Wyman. I think that he will be able to outstrike Wyman at range, uh, probably outclinch Wyman as well. 
So, uh, you know, I, I could even see Pena knocking Wyman out in the later rounds if, uh, you know, that, that layoff is going to be uh, severe for Wyman to overcome. So it's going to be uh, an interesting fight uh, with Pena moving back up to 55, with Wyman returning after that long layoff. You really, uh, there's a lot of unknown about this fight, but I'm going to side with Pena. But uh, the, the bet is going to be a stab at Wyman, sub so plus 1,200. The next fight in the featherweight division, we have Dan Ige, who is 11-2, taking on Kevin Aguilar, who is 7-1. The opening betting line for this one was Aguilar minus 175, Ige plus 135. Right now, we are seeing Aguilar minus 150, Ige plus 130. So this, uh, I believe, is my favorite fight on the card. Uh, totally, it's, you know, both of these guys have... You know, looked really good in the UFC so far. Um, Kevin Aguilar, 2-0, picking up victories over Rick Lynn. And in the most recent fight against Enrique Barzola, he's shown off really impressive takedown defense. He's shown off good boxing, you know, powerful, crisp boxing. Um, not too solid defensively in the boxing area, but he's his offense is really good. He's got a good high guard. He can take a punch really well. And, you know, really his most impressive thing is, is his takedown defense, man. This dude can dig an underhook better than anybody in the UFC right now. He uh, stuffed multiple, multiple attempts from Barzola. Barzola is a guy who's known for just relentless takedowns, uh, you know, good good pressure, good aggression, and just getting guys down to the mat no matter what the cost. And Aguilar was able to stuff, I believe, every single one of Barzola's attempts in that fight. And uh, Aguilar did slow down a little bit in round three. He started to feel the pressure of Barzola. He was still able to stuff all the takedowns, though. And he, you know, but he did get outstruck, I think, in round three versus Barzola. So um, look for look out for Aguilar's gas tank to be a little suspect. He could uh, start to slow down in the later rounds of his fights. And if he does get taken down, Aguilar has shown a little bit of weakness on the ground. On the ground, he got taken down uh, by jo Joey Gomez in his uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series fight, and he did not look to have much off of his back. Looks like he kind of relies on his takedown defense. And if he gets taken down, he you know just hopes to remain solid defensively, you know, uh, ride out the round and try again next round. So. If this fight gets to the floor, um, if Ige gets Aguilar down, that's where it really gets interesting. Ige has good boxing of his own right, but where he really shines is the grappling aspect of things. He's got good takedowns, good powerful double leg takedowns. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt on the ground. He can, he can, uh, you know, tap you out just like he did his last opponent, Danny Henry. Danny Henry, he swarmed Henry, rocked Henry with a left hook. Uh, uh, you know, smashed him with some some punches, took his back and choked him out in about 90 seconds. So really impressive performance from Ige in that one. And even before that, I think Ige was coming off of a victory. His only setback in the UFC, I think, is yeah, to Julio Arce. So he uh, he beat Luis Gomez in the Contender Series, dropped that fight to Arce via decision where he was just outstruck in that fight by Arce. And then he uh, you know uh, went out there and smashed Mike Santiago real quick, had a real competitive back and forth uh, fight with uh, Jordan Griffin, but he was in control the entire time. And then went out there last fight and finished Andy Henry. So both of these guys, like I said, have been very impressive in the UFC so far. It's going to be a really competitive type of fight, and it really just depends on uh, you know how successful EA is with the takedown. I expect EA to pursue the takedown right away because. I think Aguilar will be a step ahead of EA on the feet in the boxing aspect of things, um, you know, for as long as the fight goes. Um, but the longer this fight goes, I think the more it favors EA. I think that uh, Aguilar has a good chance of winning rounds one and two. 
just stuff and takedowns and out striking Ige. But round three, when Aguilar starts to slow down, I could see Ige taking him down. I could see Ige starting to outbox Aguilar just like Barzola did. So it's a really, really close type of fight. If Ige is able to get Aguilar down in round one, I see Ige winning the fight. And if Aguilar is, is able to avoid the takedown in round one, I see Aguilar winning the fight. So it's going to be a, a pass from the, uh, the money line aspect of things. It's really going to be a, just a live betting situation. You know, like I said, whoever is able to implement their game plan in round one, then that's who's going to win the fight. So uh, I'm going to lean Aguilar. I think that he should be able to stuff the takedowns. His takedown defense was just so impressive uh, in that Barzola fight back in uh, March. So I see Aguilar stuffing the takedowns, Al striking Ige, using that crisp boxing, and uh, winning a decision in this one, 29-28 for Aguilar. Moving on to the first fight on the main card surprisingly we have Ashley Yoder who is six and four taking on Siri Kondo who is six and two the opening betting line for this one was Kondo minus 135 Yoder minus 105 right now we are seeing Yoder minus 120 Kondo plus 100 so we have two um, lower level skilled females uh, fighting in this one. No disrespect to either fighter, but um, unfortunately, they're just uh, their skills are pretty limited. Um, you know, Yoder has decent striking technique. She seems to be making some good improvements fight to fight. Um, she's definitely, I think, who I trust a little bit more in this matchup. I think Yoder just. Um, what I just said is getting better fight to fight. She's shown more promise in her improvements. Um, her striking has gotten much better since we first seen her in the UFC. Her grappling uh, has been really good. She was able to avoid the submission and have a close competitive fight with Mackenzie Dern. And she was able to, uh, you know, hit her own offensive takedowns versus Amanda Bobby Cooper. She was able to reverse positions. She was able to attempt some submissions. So it looks like she's been working on her ground game as well. And uh, I just think that Yoder is the more well-rounded mixed martial artist. Kondo comes from a karate background. She does have decent striking as well. Very, very good, solid technique. But she's just not very aggressive on the feet, you know. She... She doesn't seem like she has, uh, uh, you know, uh, a bread and butter on the feet. It doesn't look like she has, uh, you know, uh, weapons that she goes to consistently that work. Um, you know, her takedown defense is very unknown. Her ground game is unknown. All three of her UFC fights so far have remained on the feet. She was able to outstrike Jimin Young or Jimin Kim uh, in her first fight, winning a decision in that one. She got uh, knocked out with a body kick 30 seconds in her fight with Poliana Botello and then was soundly outstruck last fight by uh, Yan Shannon uh, back in November in China. So, um, you know, I... I just don't. I just don't trust Kondo to make the improvements in this fight. Uh, I think that Yoder uh, will be competitive in the striking. I, I I think Kondo will have the more technical striking. I think she will be the better striker in there. But I think Yoder's aggression, Yoder's ability to mix up the takedown in this fight will be what wins for this fight. Um, and I just think that Yoder has, uh, you know, she showed a lot of heart in that last fight. She was in some bad positions. She was able to, you know, reverse, bump and roll, get out of being on bottom, get up on top after being on bottom, and just win close rounds. That was a fight that a lot of people thought that Amanda Bobby Cooper won, but Yoder was just able to do a little bit more in the judges' eyes. She was able to get in top position when it really mattered. She was able to get a takedown at the end of the round to ice the round, and that's really what won her the fight on the judges' scorecard. So I expect 
with her to do the same thing in this fight and just be, uh, you know, in the better the better spot at the better time. She's gonna end up in top position when it when it counts. She's gonna do more in the judges' eyes and she's gonna win this fight. 29-28 for Ashley Yoder. Next fight is in the middleweight division. We got Alessio DiCiriccio, who is 12-2, taking on Kevin Holland, who is 15-4. The opening betting line for this one was Holland, minus 195, DiCirco, plus 155. Right now, we are seeing Holland, minus 235 to DiCirco, plus 195. So more action coming in on the favorite Kevin Holland in this one. I'm a bit surprised. I, I do not think you can trust Kevin Holland with a, a dollar, a dime, a penny as a minus two, you know, 200 or more favorite to anybody. Uh, you know, he... Although he, he's looked good at some points in the UFC, he's picked up some nice submissions. He came in short notice against um, Thiago Santos and put on a decent performance despite him losing in that fight. He won his last fight, uh, according to the judges, versus Gerald Mishart, but he's just looked very lackluster so far. And that last fight, man, it was just, he could have won that fight if he tried. It just, it, he didn't. I mean, he did win that fight, but he could have won it more more decisively if he tried. You know, it looked like he was content to be taken down. It looked like he was, you know, he makes faces to the cameras. He tries to be a showman. He tries to talk to his opponents and be funny in there. You know, he's got a, a lot else going on. It doesn't seem like he really wants to be the best mixed martial arts fighter. It seems like he just wants to put on a show. It seems like he just wants to go out there and, you know, uh, like I said, put on a show in front of the cameras, be entertaining. So I really think that, you know, the WWE would be a better home for Kevin Holland than the UFC. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because he does have some good skills on the, on the ground. He's a brown belt on the ground. He's got good striking. He got really nice kicks, uh, good front kick. He, he used that in the fight against John Phillips to win that fight, eventually uh, taking uh, Phillips down and t uh, tapping him out in round three of that fight. So Holland's got some skills. He's got he's very well-rounded, and I think that he should be the favorite in this fight. I just would not bet him uh, in this spot because you just can't trust him. Um, you know, Gerald Mishart was dog-tired in his fight with uh, Kevin Holland. He, The commentators were saying, and everybody knew it, he was, um, in round two of that fight, he was tired. And he and Mishart was still able to take um, Holland down. He was still able to put him in bad uh, positions on the ground, still able to attempt some tight chokes. He, he At one point, Holland was in a, a guillotine that was almost locked in. It was, you know, uh, Mearshart was fully mounted. It was a very bad spot for Holland. Luckily, he defended and uh, got out of that guillotine. But I just lean DeKirko's way in this one. I think that I'm more so leaning uh, against Holland that I'm leaning with DeKirko. But, uh, you know, DeKirko has been looking good lately. He's a, a, a big, powerful southpaw. He throws some uh, powerful strikes on the feet. He's got a good left kick. He'll go to the body get or go to the head with that kick. And he throws hard punches. He uh, he has he did reverse a takedown uh, versus uh, Eric Spicely temporarily, but was triangled very shortly after. So the the sub defense of Takirko is not very good. Um, also, what what he did would uh, worries me against uh, Julian Marquez when he started feeling the punches against Marquez. He would uh, shoot a desperation single leg, and he did get Marquez down, but he didn't really keep top position. And if he does that here against Holland, you know, starts feeling the punches or the strikes against Holland and shoots for a takedown, I could see Holland snatching up a submission in this one. But 
Uh, I, I just lean to Kirko's way because I think he's good enough to avoid the submission uh, of Holland. I, he was put in some bad spots by uh, Marquez uh, when they fought, but he, he escaped. And just like uh, Mearshart escaped all the bad spots that Holland put him in on the ground. So even though Mearshart is a much better grappler than DeKirko, I think DeKirko will be able to escape the submissions or the bad spots that Holland puts him in on the ground. And I think the striking of this one will be really competitive. Uh, although Holland does have the better technique, he's got good front kicks, uh, he's got a solid jab as well. I think DeKirko's power and his aggression will just uh, be a, a factor in this fight. I think the judges are going to see DeKirko coming forward, throwing big strikes, and I think the judges are more likely to give it to DeKirko than Holland. I think DeKirko Kirko could uh, catch Holland with a punch and possibly put him away. I think DeKirko has a lot of pass to victory. Um, while Holland's, uh, you know, he does have the chance of getting the sub. He does have a chance of, you know, just staying safe and outstriking DeKirko to a decision. I just don't really like the way Holland's been fight fighting lately. And uh, that's why I am picking the plus 195 underdog DeKirko to uh, pick up the victory in this one. Next fight is in the women's flyweight division. We have Andrea Lee, who is 10-2, taking on Montana De La Rosa, who is 10-4. The opening betting line for this one was Andrea Lee, the minus 185 favorite to Montana De La Rosa at plus 145. Right now, we are seeing Lee, minus 210, De La Rosa, plus 175. So more action coming in the way of Andrea KGB Lee. And I agree with the line movement in this one. I think that Lee could honestly be a bigger favorite where she's at now uh, i just think lee is a little bit better than everywhere than uh de la rosa maybe not in the pure submission uh game uh, but in the overall grappling the wrestling i think that uh, lee is just better everywhere i think lee will have a big advantage on the feet in this one i think she will be you know using her, her leg kicks and her punches to string together combinations uh, very well like she always does to outstrike De La Rosa. I think that if this fight ends up in the clinch, that uh, Lee will use the, that powerful... Uh, she's just stronger. She's going to use you know her powerful arms to uh, control the clinch, use that strong knees, and uh, you know bully De La Rosa in the clinch in this one. I see De La Rosa attempting to get the takedown in this one pretty relentlessly because you know most of her victories come by way of submission. She does have very good jujitsu, and that's her best pass to victory in this one. But I think that um, she's just not going to have enough uh, of a threat on the ground to tap out Lee. I think that De La Rosa will take Lee down. I think that she will get her on the canvas, but I just expect Lee to be able to get back up to her feet or to you know attempt a submission or sweep to get back up to her feet. I just don't think De La Rosa is lethal enough on top to, to snatch a submission. Um, it's entirely possible. It's definitely her best path to victory in this one is to you know get in top position to you know make the top position count right away and try to hunt that submission or snatch a a, a, a submission in transition somehow. But I just think that Lee is better overall in this one. I think that uh, Lee will get up from the takedowns. She will outstrike De La Rosa. Uh, I honestly think that Lee could possibly finish De La Rosa in rounds two or three of this one because uh, her striking will be that much better. You watch the Nico Montano fight versus De La Rosa, and Montano did a lot of damage versus De La Rosa. The, the referee was warning De La Rosa to move in that fight because she was absorbing a lot of punishment, and he was thinking about stopping it. 
And a lot of that damage uh, was taken in the clinch. Montano just put De La Rosa in the clinch. It was just kneeing her in the face, caused a big cut. It was, you know, gushing blood. And um, Montano beat De La Rosa real bad in that fight. Uh, took her down, um, you know, was smashing her with ground and pound. Um, so I just think that uh, Andrew Lee will win this one very comfortably via decision. Next fight is going to be in the welterweight division. We have Brian Barberina, who is 14-6, taking on Randy Brown, who is 10-3. The opening betting line for this one was Barberina, the minus 185 favorite, to Randy Brown, plus 145. Right now, we are seeing Barb, minus 265, to Brown, plus 225. So I agree with the line movement in this one. Barberina should be the favorite, should be a pretty decent-sized favorite in this one. I, uh, I just don't see how uh, Randy Brown wins this fight. Um, you know, Randy Brown is a, a phenomenal grappler. He has, you know, won mo most of his fights end up on the ground. And, you know, he outgrappled Mickey Gall to a victory. He, um, you know, came up short in his last fight uh, against Nico Price where he was knocked out in that fight. And Randy Brown was actually winning that fight. Was, uh, you know, take, getting the takedowns on Brown. He was actually kind of outstriking Nico Price in that fight as well. But uh, Nico Price just put uh, Brown in a very uh, odd position and then uh, hammer fisted him from the knockout for the from bottom position. A very strange KO in that one. I'm sure you all remember it. But uh, Brown has looked uh, very good on the ground so far. That's definitely where he, he wants to take his opponents and uh, to try to end the fight there. But luckily, Barbarina has very good takedown defense. He's been tough to take down throughout, throughout his entire career. He's been tough to finish his entire career. Um, you know, he did get finished in his last fight versus Vicente Luque, but that was a, a fight that he was winning. It was a back-and-forth competitive fight where Barbarina and Luque dropped each other in the first round. Luque started to take over, winning rounds two, and he was on his way to winning round three as well, but Luque dug deep and, uh, you know, rocked Barbarina with some knees and got the finish with 30 seconds left in the fight in that one. Just an incredible fight, probably the fight of the year so far. Um, between Barbarina and Luque. So I see Bar uh, Brown looking to, to go to the takedowns in this one, but I see Barb stuffing the takedowns and Barbarina outstriking Brown on the feet. Now, Barbarina does take a lot of damage. She has taken a, a huge amount of punishment over his career, and that punishment could add up, and you know he could start to decline at some point, but I don't think that this is the fight where that happens. It could be a, lo a, a little bit closer than what we're all expecting. You know, I don't think that Barbarina... Um, is a good bet at this price. I actually think it's probably dog or pass on this price, but where the fight opened up at Barbarina minus 185, that's a pretty good bet. He, he will definitely win this fight uh, probably seven or eight times out of ten. But, uh, I, I, you know, I think that Brown uh, could make some improvements fight to fight. He has not fought in a year. We could see a lot of improvements from Brown uh, and make this a close uh, striking battle on the feet, but I'm going to lean Barbarina's way to get this one done by decision. In the next fight, in the co-main event of the evening, the Bantamweight division, we have John Linker, who is 31-9, taking on Rob Font, who is 16-4. The opening betting line for this one was John Linker, the favorite, at minus 270 to Rob Font, plus 190. Right now, we are seeing Linker minus 225 to Font, plus 185. So a little bit more action coming in on Font's way. I agree with it. I think that where the the line was initially set was a little bit too too high in Linker's favor. This is a short notice fight for John Linker. 
he is filling in for the injured Cody Stammen. So Rob Font having the full training camp to Linker come in, I believe, on about two to three weeks notice for this one. So that's a big factor in this one. I think that um, Font's cardio will be much better. And you never really know what type of shape Linker is, is going to be in coming in here on short notice. So that's why I would not really trust Linker as a favorite in this one, despite these two gentlemen having fought before and uh, John Linker winning a, a striking battle in that one pretty comfortably. Uh, Lindker actually was able to uh, end up uh, get some takedowns. Uh, Font, you know, uh, pulled guard a few times. Lindker was able to get top position and win, uh, win the 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 grappling aspect of things too with some ground and pound and top position. So just a you know very complete performance from Lindker in that one. But um, where this fight gets interesting is you know what the two gentlemen have been doing since then, and both of them have been very active, winning and losing some fights since then. But the improvements that they have made, I really think that Font has made the more improvements. I think that his boxing has gotten a lot better. I think his grappling has gotten a lot better. And the biggest thing is, I think that he's you know comfortable being hit now. While I think in the first fight, uh, he was. He was pretty scared of Linker's power. He felt a couple of uh, Linker's uh, power hooks, and he he got a little scared, and that's why he started, you know, look uh, pulling guard or, and backing up a lot. But I expect Font to, to know what's coming this time, to know that he's gone the decision with Linker before. He's faced some heavy hitters um, rec uh, more recently, and he, you know, has nothing to be scared about um, uh, anymore. Despite Linker being, you know, a murderous puncher. So, uh, you know, and the improvements in, ter in terms of Linker has made, he really hasn't made that many. You know, he's been pretty much the same fighter throughout his entire career where he marches forward and, you know, throws heavy bombs. He's, you know, struggled with leg kicks. He's struggled with takedowns in his career. Um, but, you know, very few fighters have been able to solve the puzzle of John Linker. Uh, Corey Sandhagen was able to last fight using, uh, you know, a vast array of takedowns, of front kicks, leg kicks, jabs, long straight punches. Sandhagen had a huge height and reach advantage in that fight. And, you know, he was able to win this, the judges' scorecards via a close split decision. Very close decision, though. Uh, you know, Linker was able to hurt Sanhagen at the end of round three and almost tap Sanhagen out with a guillotine. But the fight ended uh, with the guillotine locked in. So who knows what would have happened if, that, if they had another 30, 60 seconds to that fight. So this is going to be a very close type of fight. Uh, I see... Um, I still give the edge to Linker because he has beaten Font before. Uh, he still has the power advantage. Uh, I think that it really comes down to what tools Linker uses to win. If Linker comes in here and just tries to box Font and does that typical, you know, left hook to the body, right hook to the head, uh, like he always does, and just marches forward with that attack, I, I see Font making the necessary adjustments using that jab that he's really um, worked on in the past couple fights. Uh, you know, implementing some kicks like Corey Sandhagen doing and trying to keep uh, Linker at range and outstrike him that way. But if Linker is able to use the take the leg kicks and mix up a takedown in this fight, then I, I really think that Linker has a big advantage in this one. It, it really could just comes down to what Linker's attack is. So if he attacks that lead leg of Font, if he mixes in that takedown and tries to win some rounds with some top position like he did the first fight, I think that Linker will, will win this fight. But we've seen him go away from those leg kicks a little more. You know, he, he's been using them less and less. And, you know, of course, he's fallen in love with the knockout for, for a while now, loves throwing hands. Um, 
but uh, you know, this is a, a much different type of fight. You know, Linker's uh, 40 fights in now. Fon's only got 20 fights. Linker's getting up there in age. Uh, he, he did lose that fight just about two months ago. This is a short notice fight. So this is a much, much closer fight than people are imagining it to be. Just because Linker won the first fight uh, decisively does not mean that he will come in here and do the same thing again. So in the betting aspect of things, I think it's going to be dog or pass. Uh, on Rob Font at plus 185 and uh, I think that Font has improved much more since they first fought and uh, I'm still going to side with Linker. I still think that he can use those leg kicks, mix in the takedowns and use his boxing to win a decision in this one um, but I would definitely not lay the chalk at, on him at you know minus 200 or more coming in here on short notice. Um, so the pick is going to be Linker but it's definitely dogger pass in the betting aspect. Now, in the main event of the evening, we have in the featherweight division, Hanato Moiskano, who is 13-2-1, taking on Chan Sung Jung, who is 14-5. The opening betting line for this one was Hanato Moiskano, minus 120. Chan Sung Jung, minus 120. I pick him a fight. Since then, much more action has come in on Hinato Moiskano, pushing him down to minus 222 Moiskano at plus 180. So, very interesting opening line in that one. Uh, you know, I think the, the money has come in on the rightful side in Hanato Moiscano. Um, so it really comes down to the striking in this fight. You know, both of these guys have very solid uh, grappling backgrounds. Neither of them are really, uh, you know, offensive grapplers though. They both kind of use their their wrestle, their um, their grappling, you know, opportunistically or defensively. Neither, neither guy is really the guy to you know chase a takedown, try to uh, win a fight with grappling. You know, both guys have submission victories, but they're typically after, you know, uh, you know, getting in a brawl or. Um, in Moist Kano's case, where he dropped uh, Cub Swanson and then tapped him out with a rear naked choke. And Korean Zombie, of course, he's got those um, victories via Twister. And I think he's got a few arm bars as well. You know, he's got a very, very solid uh, gr grappling base. Twister, Darcy, Dar Dustin Poirier, um, triangled uh, rear naked choke. Yeah, so he has a vast, vast array of submissions. Um, and uh, so. Both guys have great grappling, but I just don't see either of them using it in this one. I see this fight being contested on the feet, where I just give Hanato Moiscano a huge edge on the feet in this one. Korean Zombie did look good in his last fight, coming off that uh, very long layoff against Yair Rodriguez. He was, um, you know, uh, outboxing Yair Rodriguez for the majority of that fight, but. Uh, eventually was knocked out in the 24th minute and 59th second of that 25 minute fight um, you know very bad IQ move from zombie to um, you know rush in recklessly and engage in that uh, that brawl in the end of the fight when he was up three rounds to one probably on his way up to being four rounds to one um, so you know very uh, upsetting moment for Korean zombie and all of his fans out there getting knocked out uh, after one second away from winning a fight. And he, he performed well in that fight up until then. Um, you know, he, he struggled with some leg kicks early versus Yair. And uh, that's really where I see the problem for a Korean Zombie coming in this fight. His stance is just too upright. He's too heavy on his feet. He doesn't use enough movement. He doesn't have enough footwork to outstrike Moiscano. I think that Moiscano will be attacking that leg kick, uh, that ca you know, that calf kick that he uses so well. If you remember his fight against Calvin Cater, he butchered Calvin Cater with 
with that leg kick. And then once the leg kick uh, was doing damage, then he really started outstriking Calvin Cater because Cater's movement was, was limited, his defense was limited, and uh, Moise Connor really started to tee off on Cater and put a beating on him in round three of that fight. Moise Kano is coming off of a loss himself to Jose Aldo last fight. Uh, he was looking good around one of that fight. He was outstriking Aldo, keeping him at range with his punches and his kicks, not engaging in a firefight in the pocket. But after round one, his corner uh, stupidly advised him to, you know, get inside on Aldo. You know, he, he they insisted that he was better than Aldo, that he should try to finish Aldo. Uh, Moise kind of got a little aggressive in round two, got countered, got swarmed by Aldo, and got finished. So, you know, both guys made bad mistakes in their last fight, and, and resulting in them getting knocked out. So, I expect both guys to, uh, you know, be fighting a lot smarter in this type of fight. It, I would just, I, I think the Korean Zombie would have to make very big uh, adjustments and improvements in his footwork and his striking to win this fight. I don't think that his, uh, you know, um, heavy on the feet boxing central attack is going to be good enough to for Mo to beat Moiscano. I think Moiscano will be staying on the outside, uh, kicking his legs, jabbing him, uh, doing damage, and just picking Korean Zombie uh, apart at range. I, I don't think that uh, the Zombie will get finished in this one. I think that this one will be uh, a decision uh, fight. It'll be a five-rounder, and I see Moiscano winning four rounds uh, to one, defeating Korean Zombie by decision. So that's going to do it for this fight card. Um, you know, got a great, uh, great night of fights. Twelve uh, good fights. The dogs, I honestly think, are going to be barking in this one. You know, uh, we let's see. So the first dog of the night, Eric Spicely, plus two fifty, has a path of victory with the submission in this one. So plus two fifty for, um, you know, a decent path of victory. I like it. Molly McCann. It's going to be a close striking exchange. Uh, close striking fight i think that her chances at plus 240 are great alan crowder has a path to victory with a grappling and with um possibly maybe even having a cardio edge over rosenstroke so plus 190 for crowder great value matt wyman plus 320 to get it to take the back of pena and maybe get a submission good value Ige plus 130 has you know has a grappling path to victory um Alessia, uh, Alessia DiCirco, um, path to victory with, uh, you know, outstriking Holland, avoiding the submission. Um, De La Rosa, not too high on. Um, let's see. Brown, not too high on. Font, you know, has, uh, you know, if he is able to, you know, mix in his own leg kicks, stuff the takedowns, maybe hit his own offensive takedown like he did versus Sergio Pettis. I think that uh, Rob Font has a path to victory in this fight. Chan Sung Jung, not really liking his odds too much. I don't think that he is, uh, that he's worth the, the value at plus 180. So that still leaves a solid seven or eight dogs that have, I think, decent path to victories in this one. So I expect this one to be a very good card. And uh, that's going to do it for the 12 fights in Greenville, South Carolina this Saturday night. So with that being said, we are just going to move on to quickly recap the UFC 238 pay-per-view that went down uh, two weekends ago. It was a great card, headlined by two title fights. Both of them, you know, came through big, ended in finish via knockout. So, you know, we'll start things off in the first fight. Caitlin Chukagian defeated Joanne Calderwood via decision, close decision in that one. But I think the right woman won the fight. Uh, Eddie Wineland put on a great performance against Grigory Popov, uh, knocking him out with punches in round two of that fight. 
Darren Stewart defeating Bayvon Lewis via decision. A very impressive performance from him. Yan Shannon defeating Angela Hill by decision. I disagree with the, the, this decision. I thought Angela Hill won round three with that with that triangle attempt. It was a close round up until that point, and Angela Hill had the most significant moment of the round, having a locked-in triangle that was you know uh, seconds away from finishing. Um, round two, Yan Shannon came back and won that round, and I honestly thought that uh, Angela Hill won round three pretty clearly, outvoluming Yan Shannon for a two to one uh, round victory for Angela Hill. But the judges disagreed. Calvin Cater knocked out Ricardo Lamas in round one with a beautiful combination, and that that one. Alexa Grasso outclassed uh, Carolina Kovacavich for three rounds. Um, you know, impressive performance from her. Her boxing was on point in that one. Aljamain Sterling, just like Alexa Grasso, uh, you know, out outpointed uh, Pedro Munoz for a decision, just keeping Munoz at range, just outstriking him uh, masterfully. You know, great performance by Aljamain Sterling in that fight. Tatiana Suarez defeated Nina Ansaroff via decision. A little bit of an under or underwhelming performance from Suarez in that one. Ansaroff was able to steal one round, and you know it was just a, an underwhelming performance from Suarez. She did not dominate uh, at all, and uh, you know I, it cost her the title shot because the, the UFC has decided to give it to someone else. And uh, Willie Tsang and uh, Suarez has a neck injury as well. She has to heal up, so she'll be out of the octagon for a while. Blagoy Ivanov uh, defeated Tai Chiavisa via decision. Just outboxed Chiavisa all fight long. Peter Yan outboxed Jimmy Rivera to a decision. Uh, Tony Ferguson and Don Cerrone, uh, you know, that fight, I think it lived up to the hype, honestly. Uh, Tony Ferguson was outstriking Don Cerrone for the entire fight. And then eventually Tony Ferguson um, put a lot of damage on Cerrone. Um, Cerrone uh, broke his nose, blew out his nose, and uh, his eye swelled up, and the referees had to stop the fight uh, in between rounds two and three, unfortunately. But a little bit of controversy around the fight because it looked like Tony Ferguson landed a punch after the bell. Um, no controversy, though. No controversy. It is the referee's job to get in between the fighters at the bell so they cannot punch each other. It is not the it is not the fighter's job to listen for the bell to stop. Their job is to fight until the referee tells them to stop. So, it and it, it's not it, it's not stop and you stop. The referee doesn't have to say the word stop and you stop. He has to get in between you two and tell you to stop. He has to separate the two fighters. And whoever the referee of that fight was did not get in between the fighters, and that's why Tony Ferguson landed that punch. Not Ferguson's fault at all. No controversy around it. Um, Ferguson's not a uh, not a um, dirty fighter at all. Now here's an interesting thing about this fight: Donald Cerrone, for his 48th pro MMA fight, he blew out his nose. You know, he his 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 you know um, eye swelled up shortly after. But all the fighters know, you know, that you should not blow out your nose because your eyes are going to swell up. And I'm sure it's happened to Cerrone before in his fights, and. Even even though he knew that, he still blew out of his nose. So the same way that Anthony Pettis uh, didn't break his hand and he um, 
you know, got out of the fight versus Tony Ferguson. Don Cerrone was looking for a way out of the fight with Tony Ferguson as well, taking massive amounts of damage in rounds one and two, and then eventually looking for a way out and getting it in round before round three. So, uh, moving on to the co-main event of the evening, Valentina Shevchenko outclassed v- v- Jessica I, eventually knocking her out with a head kick in round two. Beautiful head kick, um, you know, just put Valentina put Jessica I in a coffin. Um, then, in the main event of the evening, a back-and-forth war between Henry Cejudo and Marlon Marais. Marais got off to an early lead, winning round one of this fight, but Cejudo took over in round two, started to put the damage on Marais, eventually finishing Marlon Marais in round three with uh, a ground-and-pound TKO by the referee in round three. Just an incredible performance from Henry Cejudo, a top-five pound-for-pound fighter by far, you know, just the improvements that he's made in his game, evolving from a, a strict wrestler to being a a well-rounded mixed martial artist with elite-level striking, elite-level wrestling, um, you know, good cardio, good power, moving up in weight class and, and becoming a double champion. You know, just an incredible moment for Henry Cejudo. Congratulations to him. He's truly one of the best fighters in the world right now, beating Demetrius Johnson beating TJ Dillashaw and beating Marlon Marais back to back to back is, you know, one of the most impressive uh, streaks that a fighter has ever gone on practically. So uh, congratulations to to Henry Cejudo on becoming the the UFC's most recent champion. And UFC 238 was a hell of a a pay-per-view. It delivered big time. So um, we also got this weekend, we got bare knuckle uh, boxing going on. We got Artem Lobov taking on Pauli Malinagy. Uh, you know, it's bare knuckle boxing, and you'd think that the the boxer in Paulie Malignaggi would uh, out outbox the non boxer, the MMA fighter Artem Lobov, but I do not expect that to be the case. I, Artem Lobov's experience in the bare knuckle, uh, you know, the fact that he he fought that five round war against uh, Jason Knight, he came out of it. You know, he I don't think he had too many problems with his hands in that fight. He took a massive amount of damage and kept fighting. I don't think that um, that Paulie Malignaggi will do so well in this rule set he's been retired from boxing for two years um he has never fought bare knuckle he's had problems breaking his hand with the boxing gloves on so i see um you know artem lobov making this a brawl i don't think that this style will fare well for malinaji who is you know a pure boxer i think that malinaji's hands will break at some point in this fight rounds two or three i could see it being stopped via you know um a corner stoppage for Malinaji, or I could just see Malin or Lobov, you know, out outboxing uh, Malinaji to to a victory in this one. So uh, there are betting lines on this fight, and I believe Arnim Lobov is you know plus two hundred five. So I think there's some 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 good value on uh, Lobov as the dog in that one. We also got um, Bellator uh, 223 going down from London, England this Saturday night. Headlined by Hanat, er, Rafael Lovato Jr. versus um, Gegard Mousasi. A tremendous fight in that fight. You know, I see it being a pretty big mismatch in Gegard's favor. But still, it's always a pleasure to watch Gegard. In my opinion, he is uh, probably the best middleweight on earth right now. Better than Bobby Knuckles. Better than um, Israel Adesanya. So it's a shame Gegard is not in the UFC. We got Paul Daly taking on Eric Silva in this one. Uh, should be uh, an entertaining uh, brawl of a fight that Daly should come out in. But where the odds are at right now, Eric Silva, I'd say the value is 
on him. Despite him not looking too good lately, he has the, you know, the grappling advantage. And, you know, Daly, um, although as, uh, you know, the better boxer, the better striker, has gotten in a, a lot of wars lately. Um, you know, been fighting pro MMA for 15 years right now. So, uh, you know, his chin, I'm sure, sure isn't the best. And if he gets into a brawl, Eric Silva can definitely test that chin. And then James Gallagher fighting a guy named Jeremiah Labanio. Uh, James Gallagher being the, the big favorite in this one. You know, Belter probably giving him a nice softball matchup, uh, like always, you know. Um, but uh, that'll do it for the podcast this week. It has been episode 64 of the Martian MMA podcast. I believe we got UFC for uh, eight or nine weeks in a row. So we'll be doing a lot of podcasts over the next couple months. And I uh, hope you all enjoy the card this weekend. I uh, hope it produces some good fights in South Carolina. And I will catch you all next week. Peace.